0: behind the curtain of the Softly Training Lab with the Softly Performance
1: Podcast. The pinnacle of human performance is out there, and we intend to find it. Welcome
0: back to another Softly Performance Podcast. Today we have a special guest on our show. We like to call him the in-house physical therapist for, <laughs> for Softly because he's the one on all the videos with Doug looking very, very beautiful and giving us all of the ideas how to move better and how to go ahead and take care of all of those nagging injuries that we tend to Due to ourselves over time. So Theo, thank you so much for being on the show. I have my co-host Matt and you know what, like Theo said, let's just go ahead and dive right into it. So I'm going to pass the mic over to Matt and kind of open this show up for Theo to kind of create this this picture for us as we kind of start moving down this story.
1: Yeah, awesome. Thanks, George. Well well kind of like to, to echo what George was saying, really. Um, it's it's awesome to to have you on, Theo. I personally I've seen so many of the videos that you've you've kind of done with Softly. So to to finally finally put a face to the name and, and kind of talk to you in person is is awesome. Um I wonder whether you could just kick us off for those guys who who maybe aren't familiar with with who you are and what you do, if you just give us a a quick rundown of your your background, like how you got into physical therapy and and uh, with what you can, maybe what like a, a day in the life of of Theo looks like at the moment.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I I think you know I work with a really unique population. I think they're way more interesting than I am. Um, I I think I think physio, the world of PT, it's evolving, and I I'm, I'm glad to be a part of it. What I've learned, um, you know, growing up as a kid, you see injuries, you see kids playing sports, and we learn a lot of lessons. Unfortunately, we learn through injuries. But seeing so so many of my friends suffer injuries, I, I was kind of drawn toward the fact that the physical therapist wasn't just there, you know, in the hospital, they were there the, the entire way, getting that, that kid back to the, the, the pitch, getting them back to the field. So it was really intriguing to me. And, you know, when I went to PT school, I had, I kind of had my head down. I'm, I'm just trying to grind away. It's like, you're drinking from a fire hose every day. <laughs> you're, you're just doing the work. And what I didn't know, like you, you don't understand like what's going on in the world around you in, like the, the global world. And I had an internship at it was one of the VA hospitals. High- blowing to me to see what was actually going on that was behind the scenes, like not being reported. And I think everybody, every, every kid wants to go to PT school to be, you know, they want to be like the the New England Patriots PT. They want to be, you know, the, the New York Yankees PT. And you have it in your mind, like, oh, I'm gonna work with athletes, it's gonna be the coolest thing ever. And then you you see this other world of like the tactical athlete and they're they're so humble. They're so appreciative. And for me, that internship just completely changed my course because I knew I wanted to go into the, like the tactical setting, um, <clears throat> kind of hit some snags along the way. There were, they were like hiring freezes with GS positions and so forth. So I kind of hung out in Maryland for a few years and then the position, uh, opened in North Carolina at Fort Bragg and it was basically like tactical physical therapists, uh, needed, um, came down here in 2014 and have never looked back. So, uh, I think I, I owe a lot to the, the people I work with who have sort of taught me what the body is capable of. And I think that's what I try to portray is, you know, what we learn in PT yeah. school is it's just scraping the surface. Like we know what pathology is. We know what injury is. We know when we can treat it and when we can't, I don't think we're taught enough like how far we can absolutely push people. And that's what I love about my job is, you know, they do the work. I just, I'm sort of there facilitating it and, you know, trying to make it fun try to make it inviting. But um, yeah, it's, it's a pretty awesome opportunity.
1: Oh, it sounds it. And did you have, did many other people on your, on your physical sorry, physical therapist, I'll get my, my lingo right. Anybody else in your physical therapist course, did they, did anybody else go tactical? Or was it, was it kind of geared more towards sport and athletic performance?
2: Yeah, so our school was very orthopedic based. The, the founder of our oh, program nice. was from New Zealand. And okay. I think what he did a really good job of doing was exposing us to the spine and, 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 and like how extremities work off of the spine. And I think right. it's, it can be intimidating for a new grad new PT student to come out and have a low back or a neck patient and, and be, be told like, Hey, are you comfortable manipulating this, this individual's neck or back? And most people are like, no, hell no. And what, what we learned is we learned these, these techniques and um, I loved it. I thought the program set us up for the sport field, like anything you wanted to, to get into, whether it be a, like lacrosse, baseball, whatever, but the body mm-hmm. is the body, you know, the shoulder moves as a constant, the hip moves as a constant. So, if you're treating an athlete, it really doesn't matter what their sport is or if you're treating, like, the weekend warrior or tactical yeah. athlete, the body has to move the way it needs to move. Um, and it's our sure. job to clean that up, avoid the compensations, and then drive on. So, yeah, I mean, I think the school, the program really set us up for success with, with like, the orthopedic sport population for sure.
1: Yeah. Sorry,
2: I kind of segue there. or right, like, rabbit hole. Um, there are a lot of PTs from my school who have taken similar, like, you know, HP, human performance positions such as yeah. mine. Well, I think it just sets us up for
1: it. Yeah. I, mean, I, th- I think no, you really good. exciting. Sorry, George, I was just gonna say, I think mean, it's really exciting that the kind of big army, if you like, is, is recognizing the, the need to have that, that kind of multidisciplinary type approach. Like it's, it's not just, Oh, shit, we broke another one. That's another statistic. You know, it's yeah. it, it's kind of been well, It's crazy now too, Theo, awesome. when you
0: look at it, right? The way you kind of came into this world was like, hey, all my friends around me are getting hurt or injured and I want it like, and they're now seeing them getting fixed and doing that thing, which allowed for you to go ahead and get into this world. And it's a similar kind of, you know, when I say story, when I kind of look at movement as a whole, you know, when I got out of, you know, when I was now a tactical professional, you know, being an instructor at the schoolhouse, I was crossfitting full-time. I was trying to run ruck runs and do all these things at the schoolhouse as an instructor. And over time, I just broke. And what opened the door was like, well, why did I break? It <laughs> was the question I had to ask myself. And a lot what? of the times the question, went, the, the answer was, well, you move like shit. <laughs> it, it, and, and, yeah. and what's funny is the fact that like, you know, when I go in and look at it today, when I look at tactical athletes or tactical professionals move today, it's like, wow, they really are very unathletic as a whole. And it it, it comes back down to this idea when we talked about it, you know, the ideas of common injuries and dysfunctions that we see not just in the tactical professional, but the human as a whole. And you brought it up really well when you said the idea of when we look at kids grow and they start moving, a lot of those movement patterns are actually developed during that time period in which we lose the ability to go ahead and reconnect to them as we get older, at if we don't touch them and can you kind of cover down a little bit of how you view movement dysfunction of the tactical professional from a very young age to where they're at when they come see you is that a process at all you do
2: yeah well it's tricky once they're once they're reaching us because i mean we're not not dealing with teenagers we're um you know the, the body has sort of adapted to whatever that individual was exposed to so I can tell you a lot of like a lot of the individuals who who enjoyed wrestling and they did a lot of like hand -hand, to hand. We we tend to see more neck issues because what they were doing to their neck to try to build up quote unquote stability, you know, they were they were eating up the joint. Um, So we unfortunately see some issues there. But if it's like an if it's like an overhead athlete, if they played a sport where you know they were just repetitively pitching and you know trashing their shoulder day in and day out, like we we sort of see it. we see that very clearly in the, in the gym and in training as well. So I think it really just, it's based off of what that individual was exposed to. And then it's our job to buff that out because if they're constantly just chewing up one side of the joint, one side of, of, like your, your agonist and antagonist muscle group, it's our job to be like, Hey, look, man, like you're really good at this and you've got a damn big engine. You can, you can like run through walls every day, but you don't need to, like you can, yeah. you can do it when you absolutely need to, but we need to save that. Cause I want to keep you around for the long haul. And that's going back to what you guys are saying with, yeah, the athletes don't necessarily come in athletic. Uh, we have a lot of guys who are absolute studs, guys and girls, like very, very fit. They are extremely talented and gifted play deep one, name your sport. But then we have other individuals who they're, they're, not, they're not really here for their physical prowess. So it's our job to not introduce them to cleans and snatches and be like, hey, man, we're going we're gonna to show you this thing and you're going to do it. It's super fast it's super heavy and uh, go. You know, so it's, uh, it's tricky because you do have this, this broad spectrum of athleticism. But I think the, the buy-in is the most critical piece, like getting people to just understand we're, we're there to help is, is crucial because then they start to listen and then they start to understand what we're trying to do. Because uh, if I just gave everybody like yeah. ten sheets of exercises, nobody's going to do it. You know, it's like their bandwidth is already eaten up with with what they have to do. So we have to make sure that they understand what we're trying to do. Um, yeah, so kind of going back to what you're saying. It is tricky with athletes and, and kids who don't play a sport, and then they get into you know, like they're going from zero to 100 miles an hour. You know, enlisted or just active duty because basic and all these other courses, which are they're. They're more of a mental yeah. fortitude. It's trying to break you down to see if you can endure it. And if you don't have a little bit of mileage on you, it it, it doesn't go Dude, well. Dude, that's so
0: good that you bring that up too. The idea of if you don't have a little bit of ma- a mileage on you, you're kind of you're kind of set up for failure going into the tactical professional community. Because a lot of guys will go ahead, and I've seen this in the past, a lot of individuals will go ahead and put a fuck ton of mileage on them and actually come in broken compared to like what yep. is that sweet spot of mileage to allow for you to go ahead and have the success and the longevity as a tactical professional. I think it's really cool to have conversations with guys like yourself, Theo, to where it's like, hey, look, the, the, this 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 athleticism of movement doesn't just start when they get to us we have to be go ahead and promoting this prior to getting to us so that we can then go ahead and set them up for success because again now it slows down that that process of going from zero to 60 over time
2: yeah and it's like the difference between a callus and a blister like you have to have like that slow slow like slow burn like ramp up and that's that's sort of a commentary we like we talked about in the clinic and it's it's why like running it just, it blows my mind when, you know, we talk about some of these basic, basic concepts with running and it lights up like social media, like they're <laughs> always the most popular post when I, when I put stuff up and it's, I'm like, man, like who, like who is not telling you this? Like this stuff is, it's, 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 it's basic. I know it sounds boring, but I'm telling you, it's like, if you just do these little basic things, you're going to clean up like 90% of the issue. But, uh, it, it is, it's that person that never ran or never, never rock. And then all of a sudden they're running and rocking exclusively week in and week out. Like, yeah, that's not going to go hmm. well.
1: Yeah. We, we've talked about that a bit before is, I mean, hate it or love it, this idea of like the acute chronic workload ratio and using tools like that as a way to kind of almost to touch back on what you were talking about before is kind of to get buy-in or to quantify something that can be quite difficult sure. to get your head around. You um, like is, is that is that something you can like you guys have or, or use at all?
2: Yeah. So talking about like Tim, yeah. Tim Gabbitt?
1: Yeah, that's it. Yeah.
2: Yeah, so it, what's funny is we we actually um, – we kind of had a roundtable with him a few years ago, and when we lined up the demand, like the day-in and day-out demand of our people, like what our athletes are required to to do, because there's no off-season. Yeah. It's, it's every day. Yeah. It's yeah. Something, there's something new. And I have, um, you know, I have buddies who work in MLS, and they work in different, different sports where they're just tracking GPS. It's it's I don't, don't want to say it's easy. I don't want to dismiss it. It's not easy, but – when you have that one metric, you can
1: Yeah, it's simpler.
2: You can compile like a lot of data and, and realize very quickly, like, okay, that guy's he, he needs to get pulled, like when you, he, he's getting into the red. Um when you line up <laughs> all the different things that our people are required to do, Tim didn't have an answer. Like he was like, I don't know what to wow. say. Like, you guys are dealing with a lot <laughs> yeah. of stuff. No sure. Yeah. Shit. Was, like, yeah <laughs> thanks. Uh okay. uh, have a good flight I guess see you later you know like and I mean he was super humble and he he was helpful but we didn't have an answer it was just we have to try try to find a way to just um I mean again I think this comes like this is where the buy-in comes in because like wearables aren't where we would hope they'd be like we're not getting enough of the data that we would hope we would be getting um we kind of go off of how the individual feels and how they look and what their what their the rest of their day or week is looking like but it's it's tough man because you know I don't want to say that we are trying to track everything because at the end of the day, our people are, they're people, they're humans. Like they want to go home and maybe go, go, go play golf, go, go have a couple beers, go coach their kids, whatever sport. So if we're trying to turn them into this robot, be like, no, you need to do this, like this, this, and this, like, man, what are we doing? Like, that's not good. So um, it's tough. I don't think that there's a right answer. I think um, Matt, I'm sorry. What was the question? (laughs) What was like the, yeah, basic, it was
1: like, just kind of the, the consideration for that, really. I mean, where, where I was going, I guess, long-term is like, yeah. we know that particularly for basic training or, or recruit training packages across like the community, we know like the breakage rate and like risk of, of suffering injuries through the roof. And obviously that comes with like associated costs kind of financially and with time and and the whole emotional human side of things. Like where I was kind of going was like, what what do you think we can do better as a community in terms of like, Helping to mitigate that that spike in risk profile when people are either exposed to base training or to selection courses, things like that, where we know there's gonna be a big spike?
2: Yeah, I think we have to get kids, just people in general, we have to get them moving sooner and stay moving. And mm. it's I mean, you look at look at the epidemic, like what are we dealing with in our culture yeah. right now? It's like we're not healthy. That's why we're seeing we're having all these issues. And I think if we can expose the body to movement that's what the body is designed to do it's, it's designed to move but um not just one linear pattern like don't just rock like go and just play tag go go play a sport go run around like just do, do something that's fun but um multi-direction movement you know get the body moving i think on the front end of it the the convention side the conventional side of, of military like army specifically they're they're starting to get it because they're they're, they're now in, in, they're basically um spinning up these h2f programs so they're going to have a pt they're going to have strength coaches dietitians they're building this team this this hp team to now you don't need a referral you don't need to have to have surgery and then go talk to a pt you can go in and that pt you know, they can actually build a, a program like a preventative or you know like a reduction type program for yeah. their athlete and i think that's where it needs to be and that's where it's moving it's just a real slow roll um yeah. and i just i don't think we're ever going to be able to get fully ahead of it i think there's just there's just mm-hmm. too much demand when it comes to like the um like, like top performer or, or like top tier athlete it's 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 a lot it's a lot mm-hmm. to try to to track but we do have to get on the front end of it it's not something you wait and then realize like yeah. oh yeah you're right i'm a diesel oh, you know you're sleeping like shit
1: um, yeah
2: and then we start to the pieces back together it's it's just a, a little bit of attention along the way just kind of plugging those holes um mm. th- it does a, it does a lot it does it's interesting
0: that you, yeah, it, that you you're sorry i'm sorry it's you interesting it. that you, yeah no worries it's interesting that line. you do, you do point out this idea of looking at coming from the front end of this to help the tactical professional reduce injury because it's something that we haven't done in such a very long time and yeah the army's doing it and 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 we're seeing this come in, but what I'm actually looking at from a, from a performance standpoint, right? What are the gaps that we're missing when we bring in those PTs and those coaches into this field is the lack of experience themselves and the mileage of themselves to go ahead and understand exactly yeah. what that individual is actually going through, right? What does it feel like to have a ruck on your back moving for 18 miles, right? When we look at a specific selection in that manner, or what does it feel like to run with a ruck on your back for six hours because you have to do this thing? What does that do to the body? And, and and it's kind of the idea where, you know, having these conversations again, Theo, it's like, all right, cool. Should these tact, these professionals coming into this H2F program and all these other things actually get out and experience what these guys are experiencing so that it allows them to have more context to allow for them to write these reduction programs, prehab programs? Because again, I, that's something that I'm really big on right now is like, hey, we need to gain experience from a professional standpoint to help these professionals, just like, you, you know,
2: yeah. So, and I, I'm, I'm like strained my neck. I was nodding, agreeing with you so hard because it, it is, it's, it's. So it starts with buying. You have to have the right person that understands. Like you can't just put a, a physio in a clinic and then they just sit there and like, you know, they're playing on social media, waiting for somebody to come in. If, if they care, and they should. They they will understand they have to go outside of the wall they have to go put on kit they have to go rock because everybody everybody's fast until you have to move with kit or 50 pound load on and then all of a sudden you know everybody's slow as shit so it you have to understand like what 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 is the body doing to change to be able to t- like to tolerate that load for for long durations and we know like we know what we know what the boots do to the ankle we know what kit does to the thoracic the hip you know internal rotation like all of these missing pieces that if you're doing the job and you're doing it right you're, you're going to lose those. So it's our job to buff that out. Okay. Like when you're in kit or if you're shooting, if you're doing whatever it is, like you need to go and, and do yeah. the, do a couple of these things to regain that so then you don't trash your shoulder. So I think it, it took me, I mean, it definitely took me a little little bit of time to to figure it out, but it was also part of the process because, you know, I was thrown into this organization at a very fast pace. We're getting people walking right into the clinic after they tore a peck, you know, rolled their ankle so hard that they fractured it. Um, it makes you a good clinician, but it's it's intimidating at first because here's the medic here's here's like the team sergeant everybody's looking at you for the answer and you're just like this new kid who just showed up two weeks in you're like (laughs) shit (laughs) so but you you start to to realize real quickly you're like okay there there is like a there's a pattern here like we know what happens to the shoulder when people pitch we know what happens when you were a kid and it's our job to teach people like it's it's okay to 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 go to yoga and and like work on your thoracic and, and do some do some diaphragmatic breathing Get 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 the mindfulness going, man. You know, like you guys are living in the fight or flight. You can't, you can't stay there all the time. And it's, it's, yeah. it's not just PT. It's everything. We all come together, but, uh, mm. it is, man, it's, it's, it's the buy-in. I, I think to, to drive that whole ramble or like me rambling, yeah. um, the buy-in is the biggest piece. It's gotta be the right person because they have to want to help. I can't just sit around and tell people like, do it this way or don't come in and see me. You know, you better call me doctor. I got my doctor. It's like, that's, that's garbage. You know, like, that's not how it is. Like we should be letting these people come to us, um, they should be comfortable coming to us and then that's where we can we can build and really make a change.
1: Yeah, that's that's cool. I mean that's some awesome insight for, for anybody who's who's maybe like a current physical therapy or strength conditioning student now who's kind of looking to we know that there's particularly with COVID and like the 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 brakes being pumped in professional sport. We know that there's been like a big shift of interest towards this side of the house. So I I think yeah, I think you've you've kind of that's absolute gold if anybody is yeah. kind of in the back end of their, their university program at the moment and is thinking about taking a step into the tactical world. Go and listen to those last two minutes again. <laughs> Just well, make, and, make and the sure reason, you reason why I ran it
0: out to you is because like when I go and look back at my career as a as a tactical professional, right? It was like again, you start questioning, and I think that's where I'm trying to get to is with those that are listening. And if you're in that profession in that in that community, it's like, hey, start questioning why you are doing certain things and you said it perfect awareness. And that's something that we're pushing here at Soft Leaders, whereas like, hey, this conscious warrior system framework, the ground up approach that I've developed that I developed back in 2015 15 that I use with every single athlete that comes to me it's just learning how to go ahead and develop awareness of their body in this physical state because that's what ultimately keeps them healthy and injury free as they move in these high stress environments right and I think that's the the big piece here is where it's like we have to get on that same universal language and communication where it's like hey look this buy-in that we're teaching you isn't to go ahead and make you become this fucking zen master. No, it's to go ahead and make you the, the fucking strongest door kicker, the most reliable and durable firefighter. It's to make you the most dangerous law enforcement dude. and It's to make you the most powerful, strongest, and, and healthiest first responder as a whole because again like you said we're living in this fight or flight mentality all the fucking time well let's go ahead and feed some back to the other side to where it allows you to go ahead and save those rounds when you need it and there's a i call it the term i call it is called the sniper mentality theo and it's because of the fact from doing going through pre-sniper you only have a certain amount of rounds that you have to find the right position the right loop the right holes the right position like all those things to take that one shot because that's what matters, and it's the same thing here. When I look at the tactical professional, when it comes to movement, it comes to high intensity training, it comes to doing their job. It's like you have that one shot that matters, and let's go ahead and save that.
2: No, that's, that's spot on. <clears throat> it is, and it, I, I just think it comes down to guidance. Like you see a lot of see a lot of personalities who are telling you, like, "Yeah, you're a piece of shit because you're not." pissing blood from that last ruck you did and and like you're 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 not bleeding from your feet like so you did it wrong you didn't you didn't try hard enough it's like that's not it man like you can channel this you can you can do it a better way um preserve yourself like most selection programs that I've, i've found when the facility i was when we first moved here in 2014 they were like i was i was you know very abruptly introduced to the world of like online programming and some of these programs i'm like you you just did like that when It's like the program wanted you to do 400 straight, uh, like step-ups in a row, you know? And like that, that that's why your knee blew out, man. Like that's ridiculous. Like, you don't really need weird. to do that, you know, but, um, you see these programs that are designed, it, it's like volume. Everybody, everybody can, I mean, I mean, every, anybody can make anybody tired. Just put it that way. Like that's, there's a, there's a really good quote. I forgot the strength coach, but he's like, any can <laughs> <they're gonna look
1: laughs> tired. It's like a yeah, yeah. It's like Charlie <laughs> Francis, maybe something like that.
2: Yeah. It's like, we, we can write programs and make somebody tired, but are you actually making them better or are you just burning them down and creating an injury? And I think that's what a lot of the guidance comes back to is even when we're we're, we're taking somebody from the clinic and then bridging them back into the, the, the weight room or training with a, with a coach. Um, sometimes they're, they don't feel like they're doing a lot, but they, they get stronger. They wake up the next day and like, Hey, my back doesn't hurt. It's like, well, yeah, it shouldn't, you know? So, yeah. um, but it is, it's tough because I don't think that there's, there's enough good content out there. And then some of the stuff that that is, it's good marketing and it, it's, it, it pops up, it's flashy, but once you dig through it, it's, it's just another high volume uh, like burner where you just see people break down and, yeah. and then they end up, coming up
1: out. I think that, edu- that education piece is like absolutely key. Um, and, and again, I, I kind of, the hope I suppose is that, all the people that you're you're kind of coming into contact with either directly or indirectly through through being a patient you would hope that with the nature of the military as, as they kind of rise through the ranks and potentially have more influence that that's how we're going to kind of like start changing the direction of this this massive ship
2: yeah and, and there is so there's like there's always going to be the cultural influence and and it, what we try to do is not push somebody to Um, like hurt like injure them you know we're not we're not trying to knock somebody out when we know that there's some pathology so like hey man you tore your acl that sucks but um you you can't go anymore but if it's like you rolled your ankle hard um can you go or can't you you know we're going to tape it we're going to we're going to brace it we're going to do everything we can we're going to rule out some of the the, the bigger issues but that cultural piece i think is still critical because you know we still still have to to push people and kind of push them push them past that physical capacity because that is that is part of it. That's the, the large part of it. But identifying when we just ruined somebody's career or when we could have maybe had that person take a knee, help them get better, and then okay, do it again and let's see, let's see how, how it goes. So um yeah there's a lot of gray area but culturally like it's it's good. I think that the the awareness is there. Some of the individuals I was working with uh early on in my career, they got it. Like they initially didn't use PT, but now they're, they're, they're so appreciative that they, that they are being treated yeah. like a million dollar, which they are. I mean, they like these. Are, these are. Yeah. Right. I mean, exactly. And like, that's it. Like you're talking about, um, a job that I think if most athletes, you take away the paycheck and you, you just lost most of your athletes, like they're going to pull away. But you look at like a tactical athlete and it's that selfless service. They're there for the person around them. They don't want to be the one to let somebody down. So they're going to, they're going to push real hard. Um, which, again, like, that's why I love my job because it makes it really yeah.
0: easy when the person's motivated. Yeah. It. It's, you know, another yeah. big thing too, when we go ahead and look at it as a whole, it, and I think this is something I learned, I got to do some really cool internships with, uh, you heard of Quinn Hannock, He runs Clinical Athlete, Theo? So um, no, so no, I learned, I, I learned. I, learned I, I went through Juggernaut Training Systems internship back in like 2015 and Chad Wesley Smith brought in um, Quinn Hinnock, who and another guy named Ryan Brown. And Ryan Brown is... They started a company called Dark Side Strength. They weren't just pushing like strength conditioning. They were talking about how to move properly and how to go ahead and do, understand, you know, spine to core extremity movement and all those good things. And luckily, when he, when I was going through that, you know, 12 to 14 week internship with him, we really got got to understand what movement variability was, right? And that was a big time term that I took into consideration when it came to the tactical professional the tactical athlete was because of the fact that movement variability can go from this very micro perspective to a macro perspective. And movement variability is just the way the repetition Repetition breaks down over time or stays efficient over time from doing a specific thing. And we can go ahead and take an air squat, have athlete A do 100 air squats and athlete B do 100 air squats. One of those athletes movement variability is going to break down over time due to the lack of movement economy, pattern and quality compared to the other one. So we got to take that in consideration. And that was one big thing that I kind of really developed around the ground up approach when we looked at movement was like, how do I improve the individual's movement variability when they're under a ruck, when they're having to go ahead and and, and pull a dude off the X, right? In this unawkward position that's in a very different plane of motion than what is actually just thrown onto super training or whatever we talk about from that, that you know, that three planes of motion. It's like, okay, cool. If we can increase movement variability in a low stress environment, like the gym, gym, working with physical therapists and orthopedics and those kinds of things, we then just go ahead and, 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 and increase their durability and resiliency and only increase their movement variability as a whole.
2: Yeah. So like in, in when you talk about like a massive, like putting it, all the pieces together as like a rock or, yeah, having to pull somebody with one hand as you're crossing over like yeah. karaoke style side sprinting, you know, like all these moves when you, when you build that up and when you put it all together, what it looks like. And then when you, you break it down piece by piece, like that turns into yep. hip internal rotation, ankle dorsiflexion, thoracic rotation. So those are those pieces where like, it's really tricky for us. Um, it's not tricky, but it, it is part of the job as being, sorry, like didn't mean to go back on myself, but it's important that we can teach our, our population the importance of it. Cause it's, if I'm just saying, oh, stretch your calf because it looks cool and yeah, yeah, it kind of feels good. Like, well, no, you need dorsiflexion because you lose it when you're in combat boot and when you go to twist and turn rotation, if you're going to like CQB and you rotate and you go like 90 degree turn and you don't have that dorsiflexion um, as you add internal rotation to your calf, like you can actually tear your Achilles and there you go. So there's like these pieces that build up but it it is, it's important to break those down because I think um, that's something that you, like you said, you went to an internship to kind of learn that. If uh, we had a student we're gonna teach them things where, like I think I think the strength coaches are really good because they they do things different. Like I've I've learned a ton from strength coaches, Correct. but they've also learned a ton from us. And when we can kind of break down those movement patterns and and point out like see how see how his elbow flared, you know he's he's missing flexion or he's missing something in the shoulder. That's why he's doing that. Um, they're really good at cueing, but sometimes us breaking down like the, the the like the minutia of the movement and then building it back up to. A, a rock, uh, like a high demand movement, like you said, it's it is important, but it's also why we do what we do. It's why strength coaches are who they are. It's because this stuff isn't—you no. can't just learn it from watching a video. You kind of have to be there. And
1: mm-hmm. You got to
2: physically do it, right? So, because um, it happens quick, like everybody that is an athlete, <clears throat> um, they're really good at compensating, and and you don't always catch that on um, their their you know Instagram feed. Like they might post the best video, and it, it happens so fast, like you're not going to catch it. You slow it down you have them in person and you kind of have them do multiple like reps and then it's it's crystal clear what's going on so yeah you do yeah. have to be careful of um just trying to figure it out on your own i think it is important to reach out and not stay yeah like what your
0: comfort well it, and, it, and comfort it goes back down is. to the idea when we go ahead and see like dysfunction and injuries right it's like well okay well, why is the hip having pain after we do a ruck did we check his ankle dors- dorsiflexion did we see what his glutes are doing when he stands on a single leg what is what is all of those things look like because again we've talked about this via instagram too with each other and we've shared some of the similar things is this idea of the ground is the joint by joint approach and understanding how one joint affects the other joint and that joint then affects the other joint and we're, we're we're a system of systems and that's i guess the reason why when i look at movement variability because it does give me insight to that as a strength coach or a performance coach however you want to look at it being like well why is this his knees caving in why his why is his ankle lifting off it's like whoa from a very micro perspective like you said oh hip internal rotation he has very uh his his ankle range of motion is very very limited due to him always being in boots we put him barefooted he has no range of motion so it's like okay cool now we got to fix these things to only increase his resiliency and lower injury rate so when he does put those boots back on kicks a door in or throws a flashbang and he makes that 90 degree turn or he has to take a knee with a full combat load he has that range of motion to go ahead and sit there and support that and i think that's where you know like you said again we'll bring it full circle going back to this we keep flowing is this idea of like strength coaches and physical therapists working within the tactical strength community really has to take that in consideration looking at like you said we're not they're not sport athletes they're not doing your normal thing and yes ken have we seen cal Dietz talk about hey look a turn looks very similar to a, a lineman or a or a sprinter yeah sure it does but at the end of the day though they're not taking consideration the amount of external load that's actually on them compared to a football player or a baseball player and that external load actually just adds more to it so again bring it full circle yes as a, as a performance coach and as a physical therapist to so those guys wanting to work in that world, you have to live that lifestyle somewhat to have experience and have exposure to go ahead and create that bridge and that buy-in.
2: Yeah, and I think the further, like it's, it's um, the more I talk to like the younger soldiers and airmen, you know, marine, everybody basically, they... They always seem to gravitate and i i was guilty of this too like you gravitate toward like the muscle fitness the, the flex magazine like the bodybuilder style and because it's everywhere like you, you go to any store and there's there's like every month there's a new magazine and there's like the new quote-unquote new way to train and it's it's not it's it's just that marketing kind of um, scheme the further we can move from that and understand like that's not how an athlete trains Like you just you don't do body part one body part one day um destroy it you know go to failure, bro, like all, all of these, these things that we do. And then we just, we eat up our body's capacity to like raise your arm the rest of the like, You just missed, you just missed like your window to adapt and super compensate is long gone. So um, I think if anybody can understand, like if your workout looks like that, then you're doing it wrong. <laughs> like, if we can get people to understand like full body programs, um, efficiency, 45, 60 minutes earns really well um hinging single limb loading well arm loading you know slow things down like don't feel like you need to go fast like you'd be surprised how much pain changes how much range of motion changes how much the movement changes how much weight you have to take off the bar when you just learn to control the bar you know so uh yeah it's uh, it is frustrating because some of the injuries i'm like man like you didn't think to talk to a strength coach before you did that program like that i could tell i could have told you right now like half that volume still would have burned you like yeah yeah. broke you off but um it is it's just like the resources of the like the, the boring the boring basics really you know like that stuff doesn't always sell it's not real flashy but it's not always um, yeah. available
1: yeah well that was something I was going to ask actually Theo what what's like I, I appreciate probably in your role you don't have a quote-unquote normal day but what are like maybe some of the common injuries or dysfunctions that you see in in your your patients coming through
2: it's pretty standard i mean you would you would expect a lot of low back you know you see your shoulder um your knee knee is a big one we'll see like you see your ankle sprains and you'll see some of the like outlier injuries like you know elbows are always tricky just because i think the way the elbow functions it's if you if you leave the elbow to do the work by itself the elbow is going to fail and i think the the more we see like what what kit does and just constantly um maneuvering and and manipulating rifles and pistols and so forth i mean just typing sitting there typing all day like you're mm. you, know, you can smoke your elbow. so we'll kind of get those outliers too but the majority of it yeah you, know, you, you get you have a lot of shoulder you have a lot of um lower back and knee but for me it's you go back to those basic checkpoints and upper backs just it's 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 a, it's a huge issue most of us don't realize how stiff and restricted we are and if you clear that up and get that opened you know 20 approximately feeds into shoulder range of motion so if i can clear up the thoracic i'm going to improve the the shoulder and then if i improve the shoulder i'm going to improve the neck right away and improve the upper back and improve the low back so you you see this cascade from starting more central like more in the trunk region um so yeah it's it it's it's not like a boring cookie cutter approach like we 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 have to still screen athletes because we do have athletes who are hypermobile, and they'll come in with shoulder pain and it's because they (laughs) they have way too much motion and then you have all the and they're they're extremely restricted so it's going to change how we treat it. it's going to change how they train um but it's like your typical i think any athlete you're going to see a lot of knee back and shoulder
1: yeah and and that's mostly overuse is it or mostly kind of like repetitive type
2: yeah there's a lot of yeah you'll see like definitely overuse i think some of the the, like the injuries we'll see in just the repetition of doing like the job or the task yeah yeah and most of the time we can clean it up and give them enough of a like a take home like every time you do this thing i want you to do this thing before and after you know and then they can get ahead of it and i mean there's always going to be a need for for pts and physios i think it's our job to give as much much information as we possibly can so that way if somebody is out in an environment where they don't have us they can chip away at those pieces that they know work um Hmm. and Uh, Yeah, it goes
0: to our whole idea of of like, be your own scientist, which so question for you. This is something that I, you know, I've been able to work around, you know, some really good PTs. And this was a conversation and something that I always kind of argue with a PT and something I'm not trying to argue with you, but I want to hear your perspective. And when I say argue, I guess you can say disagreement, because I look at things a little bit different. You know, I had a conversation with a friend and she she was really big on the the hip is a reason for a lot of dysfunction. But I also then kind of went from there. I was like, well, what if it's not the hip? What if it's the foot? And the foot is the reason for why we see a lot of knee, hip, shoulder, spine dysfunction because the foot is not strong enough to go ahead and handle um, the external load that we put onto it. So it's now breaking down from the ground up. What is your thought on that?
2: Yeah, I mean, you're both right. It's I think with the activity, if you're talking about something more... Um, um, specific to like a single limb change you could you could you walk barefoot all day strengthen your feet all you want it's not going to hold up like you have to support with some sort of like insert to keep the foot stable and then you can kind of do some other drills but yeah i I think with i mean because the hip and the foot communicate i mean extensively and they they have to in order to protect the knees so in terms of running and impact the foot is going to dictate what happens up into the hip no doubt so yeah i think a lot of the issues we'll see at the hip. We'll go to the calcaneus and see if if they can even evert the calcaneus. And if they can't, then there's a huge issue because we know that they're not going to be able to get into some of that hip rotation, which most boots force you into yeah. in, like, inversion and they keep you there. Uh, again, I was just going to say, now boots adding, complicate
1: the matter even further, I guess.
2: Yeah, it's it's the compression effect. You're just adding weight, so that just that crushing of that joint, like your subtalar joint. I mean, this is I'm kind of nerding out. I'm sorry if like nobody understands what I'm talking about. It's basically you have a, uh, you have multiple joints in the foot that feed off of each other. And some areas need to move more than the other. And if, if they don't, if they lock up, it, it, it sends this signal off the chain. So yeah, I do think, um, I mean, I, 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 I think you're both right. There's no right answer. It's, it's not exclusively the hip. It's not exclusively the ankle. Some of the ankle injuries, the research showing that the glute need yeah. uh, insufficiency is one of the culprits for the like eversion ankle sprain it doesn't mean you just have somebody focused on that. You still have to retrain the peroneals and make sure again, the foot's moving properly. But those two are tough to, it's tough to say exclusively one or the other. I think they're both, you have to correct. If you're a good physio, you're doing that. And I guess that's
0: kind of the idea behind it because you know, I was having, when I was like deep into my career, you know, doing the thing and not into my strength conditioning, like profession, I was having a lot of low back pain, a lot of glute problems, a lot of, a lot of knee problems. While I was in, and you know, which kind of strayed me away from when I got out to stop running, ultimately, and I think that's a lot of people were like, "Oh, I stopped running because my glutes, my knee, my hips all started to hurt." But then I also started getting back into ultra endurance and I started noticing those things were coming back again and it was like, man, I'm doing all the hip strengthening, all those things, but why? what is it? And it really opened the door to like understanding my foot and the strength of my arch and understanding, hey, am I pronating, am I supinating? What do these things look like? What are my toes doing in a very low stress, low skill perspective? And it's applying the said principle and we've talked about this on previous podcasts where we can go ahead and take the said principle and not only does it apply to strength conditioning, but it also applies to how we move and when I started kind of playing around with the feet I started noticing oh well my hip pain went away my knee pain went away my glutes actually started to fire properly which is the reason why I went down the rabbit hole of the foot and now if you see my feet today they look like monkey feet no longer look like they're inside boots but at the same time though I've noticed that I can handle more volume when it comes to loading single leg work and that's why it was like one of those conversations where again you're right it it, I think both of them come into play but I think at the same time, we're missing the, we're missing the interconnection of the two.
2: Yeah. And when you, when you talk about, um, like your hand, if you, if you duct tape your yep. fingers, yeah. stuff in a mitten all day, we have a lot of hand issues, right? We'd have people getting basically like carpal tunnel into the hands and like quote unquote plantar fascia of the hand. It's because that's what we're doing to our feet. <clears throat> that's what some of these restrictive pieces of footwear, like they have to, they're designed to protect you. It's, you know, uh, like ergonomics. Um, and, and car seats don't go hand in hand. It's designed to continue like, it's, it's just trying to keep you in one place if you God forbid, or a bad accident. So, you know, you can modify it, but it's understanding what boots do. And, and it's just going back to the understanding. If you're in that position for prolonged periods, you have to get out of that position. So, you know, when I, when I give uh, patients like here, can you get your fingers yeah. in between your toes? Let's start there. And when they can't, I'm like, that's a big issue. Like you need to, you need to start doing this every day until you can. And then we'll kind of move on to some of these, these other drills or if your big toe takes this like hard right turn, um, like, or the state Florida, <laughs> if the, if your big toe is deviating away from the rest of your toes. Like that's an issue. Like you can do all, all of it. You could, you could lacrosse ball the hell out of your foot all day. And it's not going to change that. We need to, we need to fix the structural the joint, uh, like issue. And then we can start to load it. But, yeah. um, it takes time and that's, that, that's, that's the problem. And I don't think you need to go off to the deep end and start running in like five fingers and, you know, be the guy at the bar wearing jeans and five fingers. Like you don't need to be that guy, but you do need to understand like the foot, it should be able to move. It should be able to load. Um, I think training barefoot is great. I I think I I personally will draw the line when it comes to some of like the high impact type movements, like jumping, cutting, running. I think you can, uh, you can get there. It takes a long time time so yeah. the, the foot man like yeah it's the more I treat the more I uh more I gravitate to um like really going back to the foot because in, in, in our program at PT school I think they, did, they really did a good job of teaching us and understanding like the three phase like the three main positions of the foot and you know it's okay to pronate it's okay to stupinate you have to but yeah when it's what much. happens when you're doing more yeah more or less of, it,
0: it's really cool you brought up the glove yeah. mitten thing because that's something that I've also been taught as well and it, and it all comes down to, to dexterity right And it's, it's obviously what it is. It's like the, the less time we spend barefoot the less time we work on our foot, the less dexterity we have from the brain to the foot, which ultimately is again, awareness. If I can feel in my feet, how to create an arch, which then automatically creates tension or creates activation in the glutes, which then the activation of the glutes then creates stability in the hip and the trunk. Just from that, I have just fixed a problem and when i say fix now it's like okay cool how do you maintain that hip position how do you now maintain trunk position how do you maintain knee position as you squat with this big toe little toe heel ground into ground creating this torque that all comes from a feeling awareness and and a dexterity perspective and it's something that you know again Awesome. Thank you for answering that question, Theo. Like I said, it's just one of those things where I really want to kind of like close that gap and especially talking with you because again, everything you are putting on Instagram, you are talking about, these are a lot of the things that come into play. So the next big thing, dude, honestly, where where we want to kind of move into is um, the idea of taking a broad and multidisciplinary approach. So how do you integrate work with other specialists like nutritionists, strength coach, psychologists, and those kinds of individuals to honestly get the athlete to move forward? and re and fix them from a, a, a regression of injury or whatever it is to get them progressing.
2: Yeah. So we're all in the same office and you know, our docs, our surgeons, they're, they're not too good to talk to us. Like they will, they will, I've had some of the best conversations with surgeons who it's, it's really opening. you know, like they, I think the good surgeons, the, the good docs want, they want us to exhaust all options before they'll leave in you know, take, take a glance. And I think that says a lot with some, some professions it's um, okay. Let me just stick a needle in it. Let me just give you these pills and just go, go away, like do your thing. When you have multidisciplinary approaches where you have, again, people, people stepping out of their, their echo chamber, like they can actually talk to a coach or talk to a dietitian, talk to a, like a sports site. We start to pick up on signs. Like I I've learned so much from uh, even just like the behavioral health, portion in like the, the, the med docs of picking up on kind of like these red flags where like, maybe it's not a musculoskeletal issue. Maybe we need to get other people involved. Um, <clears throat> like asking questions about sleep, vitamin D, you know, all these, all these like little outliers, which, you know, you have to know a little bit just to kind of, kind of be a little bit dangerous, but I'll, I'll never be a dietitian. I'll never be a strength coach. I'll, I'll stay in my lane and, and just try to focus on what I know. But if I can pick up on these red flags and know when to refer out or know when to get somebody involved which is what we do all the time. Like we'll, we'll, um, we'll set up basically like reevaluations for patients and, and we'll get the strength coach involved to, to do like, you know, force plate testing and, you know, we'll have the dietitian run some tests and we'll just check these metrics to, to see where, okay, where, where are we now from where you were a month ago? Are we on the right path? Are we doing the right thing? Um, and it is just, it's, it's just being comfortable with asking questions and not knowing all the answers, but mm-hmm that opportunity to, to have those people yeah. in your office is, is critical because nutrition is, I mean, I don't have to tell you guys, like nutrition holds it all together. And we had, we had a, uh, unfortunately in like 2014, I almost lost my job. Like I got there and then two months later they, they made these like sweeping cuts to our program and we lost our dietitian for a few months. And that, I, I didn't realize how critical that was until she was gone. <clears throat> um, people were just floundering. They had no idea, like post-ops, Training programs, like everything that was feeding off of, like, caloric intake, uh, they, they had nowhere to go. They, they didn't know what to do. So, like, that's critical, but it's uh, it, it's just having access to that is, is, is again, it's the right people. Like, I can approach them whenever I want. They can approach me. We're all working different lanes, but we're all nice. moving in the same direction.
0: So, calving it off of that, then – you pretty much answered the question. It was like, what well, would you want? What specialist roles would you want to go ahead and work with more? And it sounds like you would you would want to work with more nutritionists, dietitianists than the surgeon or the psychologist. I'm guessing just because of the fact of that cal that caloric intake and how do we go ahead and manage that so they can continue doing their job? How has like you know kind of can you can you dig a little bit more into that? What that looks like with you know looking at it from a let's go ahead and say a micronutrient deficiency and what that does to movement from your example uh, from your own like experience
2: oh yeah i mean if, if somebody has a panel and it's i mean it all comes back to um having time to ask the right questions and, and like okay what are you doing like what is your what is your current plan like what does it look like and then if the person's like well i'm trying this you know, all vegetable plant-based diet, <laughs> you know, or if it's like, I'm just doing the carnivore thing, but I'm also training up for this other thing. And, you know, you can see right away the discrepancy. So it, yeah, if there's deficiencies, obviously like that's the body is now working harder to make up for that. And depending on what the deficiency is, I mean, they, there could be some serious repercussions. So a lot of the conversations are geared off of what, like if the if dietitian ordered blood work, like what does that show? But it kind of depends too, like what, what do they, what do they want to get out of it? What's their goal? So, I mean, I think deficiencies are always a a concern. Um, I think the dietitians do a good job of sort of sifting through the misconceptions and and like the need for supplements and she'll kind of go through like what you can take, what you should take and what you just absolutely just, you know, do not need. And I, I think like it goes back to basics of like fiber, like vegetables, fiber, water, um, like lean sources of, 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 reliable meat. It always comes back to those. If, if you're like, if you're getting your protein, you're eating your vegetables, getting your fiber and you're hydrated. It's, the, it's the basics, but it's, it's stuff that we've been told our whole life. So people kind of dismiss yeah. it because it's not exciting. It's not, it's I'm not flashy. Say, like you said,
1: it's the not sexy stuff, isn't it?
2: Not at all. Not basics. at all. Right? Yeah. It's not, you know, like, I mean, take any 20 CrossFit athletes and they're all promoting a different product. They're all, they're, they're all phenomenal athletes, but they're all claiming that one supplement is what, got them to where they are it's like no it's not it's your good genes <laughs> like you're getting yeah well yeah. so but it's uh it's it's it is what it is and i think if you can educate them and, and let them realize like yeah you don't need this stuff maybe you need this stuff but you definitely need this stuff and it just goes yeah. back to like whole foods and you know reliable sources and try to stay away from the crap as much as you can
1: mm. yeah it makes it makes sense is is there kind of touching on that have, have you in the time you've been you've been qualified as a as a physical therapist, have there been any kind of real like game changer or or kind of light bulb moments where where like you've almost had like a paradigm shift in in your way of thinking? Has there been any sort of any moments like that
2: in terms of in in, in like physio like the PT world?
1: Yeah, yeah. Just in t- in yeah. terms of your your kind of approach, have you had have you have you yeah. come across any any kind of teaching or thinking or any, have had any experiences where you've kind of thought? oh, maybe what I was thinking previously oh, should sure. be like adapted a little bit.
2: Absolutely. I mean, you have to. And that's like, that's what makes makes it fun because like, I mean, at the end of the day, we're, you know, do no harm. Like that's our code. We, we're we not doing things to uh, potentially hurt people. But if, if I missed something, I try to go back and see, okay, like, was it something I'm like, what am I missing? You know, is it me? Is it not the patient? And I, I think one of my absolute, favorite things to treat is the is the tendon and i always have i've always enjoyed it i've just felt it was interesting to treat yeah, because it's yeah. such a different tissue than than muscle and like muscle muscle strains and muscle tears you know you're like oh man well that's easy it's got it's got good blood flow we'll get it back like you'll be good to go and with a tendon it's so different and what we like what we know now is like if you guys have ever heard keith Barr talk um it's, yeah, it's yeah. so incredible when you take the like the cellular level changes Um, like the physiology of the tendon and and combine it with like the Jill cooks, who's like a phenomenal PT who did a ton of research on tendon health. Um, And you meet in the middle and you see what it looks like when you combine the two. And then you start to kind of come up with these strategies. That's, that's honestly like the bulk of what we do is when we have individuals coming into the building. And if we know they're ramping up volume, we'll start to educate them on like heavy isometrics and like slow loading and, you know, using gelatin with vitamin C, all of these pieces to, to give those tissues what they need um, but then also loading it the way it needs to be loaded because i think pts are really good at identifying issues but we're not good at, at, yeah. at loading enough i think we we sort of hit the break we're kind of afraid to to like push push into like heavy heavy anything and hmm. now like in, in these, these settings like we do and i think that's where the field has to move we it's, have to identify that in order to get people better we well, have it's it's treating pain level. with pain
0: in a positive way yeah.
2: right it is like there is a yep yeah, there and then like coming out of school like oh shit that hurts okay don't do it don't do it and now we know it's like no man like if that hurts do three sets and then tell me how it feels like yeah. oh it went down yeah, yeah next time go heavier you know a 24-hour window as long as it's not getting into that like searing sharp knees swollen you know can't feel your foot if it's like true pathology, we'll know, but if it's tendon and, and tissue loading and just des- desensitizing tissues, which is what, what it comes down to, like the pain science of it. Yeah. We have to load those tissues. And I, I, I think, um, it was, gosh, it was like six months ago. There was this new, uh, research design that Keith Barr was talking about where, you know, you take a, like a heavy, I mean, heavy, heavy isometric, um, and it takes months to do, which is kind of tricky months. because in our population, like we don't, we, like we, we, we don't have months, but just knowing I can still teach somebody this and be like, Hey, keep doing this every day. Just keep doing it. Humor me. Just do it for the next three months. But you can absolutely target, like you can fatigue the healthy tissue and remodel a pair. You have to fatigue it first. And that's like, you're never going to do that if you're just doing like red, red TheraBand or, you know, single leg knee extensions with, with body weight, you know, like it's just, it's not going to do it. You have to load it up. But I think uh, like new grads and hopefully they're, they're, they're on board with this and they're seeing it now. But I just think when you come out of school and if you're not exposed to this stuff, you you don't understand that it's it's okay to do that. Like you, you have to load up a rotator cuff pretty heavy. You can't just do like
0: a hundred reps. Yeah. You go for it, man. Yeah, you go for it. You're good.
1: Sorry, George, you go. I I was going to say, wasn't it, uh, I might be like, I'm kind of digging back a few years now in terms of my own practice. Wasn't it Alfredson who kind of first came up with some of those tendon protocols and he was, he was physically trying to, like break the tendon as part of a yeah. kind of a mini case study. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah, it's it, crazy. It,
2: the Achilles. Yeah. And that's and what we found. It wasn't yeah. the eccentric. It's the speed. So he was, he was doing like a slow eccentric, which was great because you're like, you're stronger. Like you're going to get more, more um, fiber overlap, like all the good stuff, but it's the concentric any eccentric and eccentric in a slow range. And I just think of it as like warming it up. If you're like slowly warming up uh, versus like duct tape, ripping duct tape, that's kind of the stimulus we try to avoid. Um, a healthy mm-hmm. tendon loves that, like that quick dynamic movement is great. But once you hit that point where overtraining occurs and you're you're now dealing with like a pathologic tendon, you have to start that slow roll. And then even if you have to go a step further and just do heavy isometrics for a prolonged period. Um, but I think there's like some really good stuff out there that can help. Like you know, there's like, prolotherapy and there's like plasma-rich uh, injections, or platelet-rich plasma injections and things, and and they do have a place. But I, I think if you just let the body the body let it heal itself if you give it the opportunity and, and like you feed it the right way you hydrate it the right way you let it recover you know we, we can get people better just by understanding like what phase of injury they're in yeah and then how do we um, load it in that phase
1: um, and if, if anybody's listening with with kind of lit up knees achilles or whatever um I'll, I'll put some links in the show notes but theo's got some awesome videos that he's done with uh, i think it's with doug isn't it where you've, you've kind of broken down some of this stuff in, in real kind of practical take home ways
2: yeah, we we did the first session. We we talked about tendons, and it's it's always tricky on, you know, like on YouTube, you don't know how deep to go because, and I don't want to go over people's head. You know, obviously, I condone talking to providers and making sure you're following up with somebody in person if you ever have serious questions. But you know, there's a lot of stuff you can do, like test and retest. Where, yeah, just slow slow the movement down. Like, go really slow. Um, lighten the weight first because you'd be surprised like you're not as strong as you think you are when you stop compensating, but just go through the movement real slow and then 30 seconds on, 30 seconds off, do that a few times and and yeah, see what, see what happens. Cause usually like the pain subsides, the area feels better, you know? So, um, but yeah, the first video I think we did, it was kind of like the, the foot, foot and ankle, um, yeah the there,
0: there's a there's a protocol I like to utilize yeah. when I go ahead and check and see how the body reacts to slow movement is throwing in either a heavy kettlebell or a sandbag in a bear hook bear position in a bear hook position or a front rack position and ask them to squat as low as they can into the bottom of the squat and then sit at the bottom of it as long as they can, and then stand up as slow as they can. And you go ahead and see some of the most, you got to see like what their body actually does from a breakdown position. Oh, look, that knee caves in, their glutes are not firing anymore. Why is that? Oh, because they haven't had that pattern to do so, which gives me an indication when it speeds up, it's doing the exact same thing. So it's, and again, right, at the end of the day, what is strength? is not about how well you move an external load, it's about how well you hold position. So- and that idea behind that I think is great, and it's something, you know, I, I learned with Quinn when I went through my internship, and what he does with clinical athlete when he rehabs athletes, he actually utilizes load uh, percentage and pain percentages to go ahead and get them out of the that pain that they're in. And we can use, for example, let's say you're having really bad knee pain behind the you know behind the kneecap or whatever's going on, but you know at a specific um, degree when you're going ahead and lower into a single leg position. The pain is at a 10. Well, then let's go ahead and raise above that, you know, raise above that to maybe 60 to 70% and hold that isometric there. And then over time, you progress and you get into it to where now you get back to that range that was a 10. Now it became a 7.
2: Yeah, I was going to say, like, yeah, you add an isometric because then you get a 10% swing, 10-degree swing each direction. So, yeah, you're going to improve that area. You're going to strengthen that zone you know, make it a little bit more resilient, like tapping into it, but not, Correct. not turning the burner up so high to where it just, it, it freaks out. And you know, it's, um, there's, there's like a, there's a huge movement with like pain science and like chronic pain and it all comes back to movement. Like they, they've identified that, you know, educating an athlete about their pain, um, changes their pain. Like they immediately can start to identify like, Oh, okay. So this is yeah. normal. I can, I can move through this. I, I don't have to be afraid of this but you can't just leave it at that and be like, okay, our session's done. See you later. Like we're not, we're not psychiatrists. Right. So we need to now uh, approach it in a different way where we we start to have them move. And that's where I love bands. I think hooking a band up around the hip, doing a slow, you know, eccentric loaded deadlift. Um, just like you said, doing a front squat, like all these movements where you can just take some of that compression off the spine, but it's getting them moving again and going to that point where, where give them, give them, give them a win. Like they, they can yep. say, Oh, I got to that point. That's pretty good. Let me see if I can.
1: Yeah. That's no, really cool. Yeah. I think that's a huge piece for both for rehab and for, for kind of the performance side of things I me and George bang on all about the time about this kind of this idea of looking through a biopsychosocial lens and, yeah. and certainly from, from my training, like within kind of rehab and strength conditioning, it was always the bio side of things that was pushed so hard, but you kind of forget that, actually the, the psych and the sociology or the, the sociological side of stuff is, is just as big, if not a bigger piece of that pie?
2: Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, the brain's going to dictate everything. And post, uh, like post ACL, that you could have every surgeon, at like the top, top tier physios assessing, running tests, and the person's passing all the tests, they're doing everything flying colors, like cleared to go. They step back on the field and that apprehension kicks in like yeah. that's not dcl that, that's the that's brain that's like trauma yeah, yeah. <laughs> just, I, remember, I remember this field this is where this is where it all happened you know and mm. dude, you have to like you have yeah. to expose that in recovery um i think you have to expose that in rehab pretty early on but again safe like knowing understanding the, the yeah. like
0: it, controlled exposure it's almost. really cool though too yeah. like because i i just kind of came up I've just kind of put this together, this point system or phase of stress, and I've talked about it on previous podcasts as well, but something that, you know, I'm seeing kind of is similar, but you have it in your own context where, you know, hey, the first the first phase of that understanding stress or recognizing stress is recognizing the stress where it's coming from. The second one of that, that phase is going to go ahead and how do we change our perception or perspective to that stress? How do we repair that stress? And then how do we prepare the athlete for that stress or follow on stressors? And I think that's the same idea that we're doing when we look at movement, right? It's like, okay, what caused this movement in dysfunction or injury or whatever else? All right, how do we change our perception to it to where we can go ahead and get you moving in the right direction? All right, how do we repair that injury and that stressor as well as how are we going to go and prepare you for you to follow on missions, sport events, or getting put back into that same exact exa- experience or environment to where you got hurt in the first place to where it doesn't cause you to block and and close up and all of a sudden now you re-injure yourself and i think it's really cool again too man to see that we're all on the same wavelengths and really kind of bringing things full circle for this as a uh, as a performance you know team i like to say um because it is we are a team together when we go and talk about these things and share these ideas and create that conversation so um but yeah i, I dude what what are some of the what are your approaches honestly with when it comes to the psychological, emotional side of rehab and pain management when you work with individuals?
2: Well, I mean, I think a good history, like if you're just talking to a patient that came in with pain, usually by, I mean, body language can tell you a lot right away. But if the person is, I mean, sometimes they'll come straight to us. I think there's there's a good portion of folks that will still kind of go to like the primary care, which is fine. But you know, the people that come straight to us with like back pain or something, you know, that it's first trying to break down, okay, is that back pain coming from like a tumor? Is this not back pain at all? Like, is this a muscle issue, like a tendon ligament issue? Or is this actually something more serious? But um, I think just giving them time to talk and not necessarily asking very straightforward questions like, oh, are you stressed? Like what's going on at home, but letting them feel comfortable to talk. And then, you know, you might not get that in the first session, but if I'm, if I'm assessing somebody and nothing on the table is really making sense because nothing's really popping off and, and flaring them up the way that it said, then we kind of start to have questions like, okay, well, like, wh- when is this occurring? Is it, is it as you're approaching a certain like time of the day? Is there something happening? Is there like a trigger basically, you know? And sometimes you can start to unravel that. And then it, it kinda, then it kind of leads into like, oh man, well, you know, come to think of it like, yeah, I'm really stressed. This is going on. That's going on. And then I'll, I, I, like, and at that point I can, I can, I can still intervene. I can still do something like, Oh yeah. hips a little stiff, you know? Um, and George told me your ankle is probably stiff. So I'm going to give you an ankle, you know, an ankle stretch. Right. So, you know, you give them something, but then I might send an email like, Hey, are you, are you tracking this? Are you aware of this? Um, I mean, I had a patient over COVID who like solid guy super stoic like really kind of keeps to himself and he had i mean when i get too, too detailed it was like a very traumatic family incident and you could just tell like he was he was still coming to appointments and it was good he was coming to appointments because he was talking like he was offloading a lot of stuff and stuff that like i'm not trained to, to to be giving advice I'm just sort of on the receiving end of it and what i was able to do is at least like be ears for him to offload. But then I you know, contacted like another group of uh, providers in our, in our section and they reached out and then they intervened. And then they basically, you know, they do it in a way where it's, it's, it's not like intervention style, like they're, they're they're giving strategies and they're just like, hey man, we're here, what do you need? And I think that goes a long way, just having access to providers who, who care, like you give a shit.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. And who understand the, like the context and the, the culture of the community as well, I guess.
2: I mean, the job itself, like, you see stuff, like, you're exposed to things that, like, I would never understand, like, I've never I've never deployed, but I, I, I've seen the effects and I understand, like, the, the cumulative stress of it, so I, I, as providers, I think we're, it's our job to open up and be able to try to pick up on some of that, to, to at least know yeah. which direction to send them, because um, if I'm not there, if I'm, like, half, halfway in the door, halfway out, that's, and I miss something, yeah. like, that's... it's really cool that you
0: do have the you do have the the ability and you know you don't let your ego get in front of it and be like hey look i need to i need to go ahead and source you out to someone else that again because it's from a, from a doctor perspective and an ethical perspective, that's what you're supposed to do, but also just from a human perspective, hey, look, I don't understand a lot of this stuff because I've never been through it, but I can help you get someone that can and provide a resource and sources for it, I think is ultimately the biggest thing here because how many fucking strength conditioning coaches think they're becoming fucking mental performance coaches? Right? Like, are, yeah. are strength coaches becoming physical therapists? Think there's physical therapists when it's like, hey, maybe this is outside of my realm. I need to go ahead and pass you off. And I think that's the biggest thing here, man. So, um, next question. I like this one. What is the biggest myth you've come across recently and surrounding rehab and training?
2: Yeah. The biggest myth? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> well, I think the problem with research, like, you know, air quotes, research is... You know, we spent the whole semester and then basically a, a whole license um, learning about how to read and sift through research. And what what we see now is so much research comes out like on a monthly basis, and some of it is just it's like, why are you even doing this? Like, why are we even having this discussion? Like, somebody saying stretching is bad, or you know, there's this there's this argument that you know, should you have an ACL repair if you tear your ACL? It's like, come on, like, what are we even talking about? Because, okay, sure, if it's your grandmother, yeah, probably not going to need an ACL repair. But if you're talking about, like, a healthy individual who's athletic, they want to get back to a high-level high, high level lifestyle, it's, it's a no-brainer. But the research side of things really frustrates me because we, we do, like, we, we follow, like, our practice is, you know, revolved around research. But the, the basics are the basics. Like, 80% of what we do is basically, like, the 20% of what we know works. We know how the body moves. And then there are like kind of these outliers that will pop up and if if we know this isn't working then we'll kind of pull out some wizardry and voodoo and and, and do some things but the i think the stretching really frustrates me because if you look at it as just like black and white if you're trying to tell me like stretching is bad like well maybe that stretching is that one moment if that person is focusing on their breathing their parasympathetic they're they're able to to, to like hang out and, and like wind down before they go to bed. And you're going to, you're going to blast out that like stretching's bad. bad. Um, it, it just like, think bigger, like pan out and think bigger picture than just like what is happening in that research design. So, I mean, I could go on, man. Like there's so much I see on, on Instagram and it's, it's like, you guys aren't in the clinic. Like, You're not in the clinic enough. You're, you're, I don't know what research designer who told, like who told you this is a good idea, but those are the two that stood out the most to me, I think in the last few months because you know if you talk to anybody that does either yeah it's it's cathartic for them like they have to, they have to get into that, that like that zone and flow and so forth but um what else there's uh
0: just biggest myths you've the seen you come like across since that, like, you've been in this in the, been in the game dude i mean uh,
2: yeah
1: I oh. just, sorry just before we go on to that theo i was just wondering like based on what you were saying before about like the the kind of the the some of the issues you see in study design and academia like from from your perspective what do you think is kind of the next step in terms of like bridging that gap between applied and and kind of lab-based stuff
2: oh you want be better designs you have to have sample groups that are like, like you have to have like very specific controlled like sample groups you can't just have like a you know patients were age 18 to 98 like come on man like that's way too much like that's that's not going to give anybody any kind of validity so yeah it's got to be more specific to populations but i think the the types and the designs of of, of research have to be uh, i don't think they're ever going to put it out there to where like they're gonna they're gonna give you the level of evidence right off the like right off the bat because then it kind of like expose their hand but i think um anybody that's like trying to follow research just understand that yeah. there are tiers of research and some of it is, it's just garbage. You know, it could be a friend that basically was like paid to say, Oh, this really worked for me. And like, boom, there you go. Like there, there's the selling point. So I think um, I think it's understanding that research doesn't, it doesn't necessarily dictate how you treat, you have to treat the person in front of you. And if you're treating based off, based off of some algorithm or, you know, we used to have these, Uh, when I was in PT school, they were called um, like clinical prediction rules and they had a few for like manipulating the lower back. And they were taught to us just as like a reference point. Like if you see these checkpoints, this individual may, they, they may um, benefit from a spinal manipulation. And then a few years go by and they found out like some of it was skewed and, you know, like there were people that were living and dying by that, that clinical rule, And it's like, that's not it. You can't force feed everybody into these algorithms. You have to just treat the person in front of you. But that, that is when you are able to, to ask questions, do the evaluation, do it properly. You have time to treat them for who they are. And unfortunately, like civilian side clinics, you'll see a lot of cash based PTs popping up now because they're sick of the model. They're sick of the insurance model, handcuffing them for what they, what they were going to school to do is like treat, treat individuals. And now they're being told like, Oh no, we're not going to pay for that. that. That patient didn't need that treatment like, how do you know you weren't there? Like I was. So, you know, if you see like a cash-based PT, they're usually doing things their way, which is a good thing. Like they're, they're taking it into their own hands and they're not going to be following you know, kind of like the clickbait of like, Oh, I saw this on Instagram. Let me, let me try it. Yeah. That's <laughs> yeah. But George go back to your thing. So I, I got uh, some of the, so, okay. So I, I credit Doug. I mean, Doug kind of forced me on the Instagram over the past year. So I'm, I'm, I'm there now. It's a thing. It's, it's a weird world, but you know, it's, it's, it's interesting, you know, you kind of get to help some people. And um, I can't tell you how many times I'll see a product like a scraping product like here, this scraping tool. I, you know, IA stim, you don't need a PT, you can treat yourself. And it's got this individual, like just mutilating, she's mutilating her, her scar, you know, like, and there's, they're claiming she was doing this two days out and that just drives me nuts because, you know, if you do anything about, tissue and healing and like protocols with like the like very very serious injuries and surgeries that's the last thing that we do is just go in there and start beating the hell out of tissues you know like there is a family. so i think the the myth of like fix yourself with this massage gun and this scraping tool and even the lacrosse ball i mean like there's a lot of stuff that feels good and awesome you want to you want to lay on it and and hit your quad and like all this all this stuff go for it but if you have an injury and and like it is not getting better in in a few days, or if you had severe trauma and there's like swelling around the knee, go talk to somebody, man. Like don't don't play the game. Like we're, we're providers for a reason. So the myth of all of the, like the novelty tools and the things that exist out there, it's not that single tool. It's, it's the person doing it. Like dude, who who is doing it and why are they doing it? Like that's knowing when. We have
1: exactly the same on our side of the house with like, kind of novel equipment and training protocols and things like that. And again, like, so I think so of it comes down to like, to, to context, like, well, that's okay. As long as you understand the principle behind what you're doing, yeah. rather yeah. than just kind of the face value yeah. of the new shiny thing.
0: It, well, and yeah, it's funny. You exactly. bring up this idea of research. It's like a very generalist idea, right? Like, and we live in such a specialist culture. So we're taking, generalist research, where you said 18 to 24, there's no context behind it. This is what we had, and then specialists are taking that generalist research that's been being done and applying it to a specialist mindset, where it actually is taking away from the whole idea, where you're right, I think that we need to start doing more research and more case studies and all those things in a more specialized manner which then can apply to the generalist culture aspect and, and and that's me getting on my like on a philosophical standpoint because of the fact that i look at the way we look at doing things as a whole from a specialization perspective when everything we're basing things off of comes from very a generalized uh viewpoint when we talk about research and science yeah because
2: there's no single yeah. treatment that that is the fix and there's no single product it's it's the culmination of all of these things we learn. And then just, you know, what I go back to is what we're trained with is the evaluation piece. Like when we evaluate somebody, we're looking at the tissue quality, the movement, like where they are in the healing process. Um, is there trauma? Like, is it just like, a, okay, you can't, you can't do this thing or is it you tore your ACL and now you're injured and that yeah. anybody can buy a piece of equipment and just go to town and just, just go nuts. But, it's, it's the understanding of like,
0: yeah, why, like why are you doing yeah. it? Um, yeah. Well, Theo, we're going to have to bring you back on brother because there's so much more to dig into this. And, and realistically, like, again, we want to look into what your training looks like yourself, how, um, from a philosophical and big picture standpoint of what you're bringing, you know, not just to your, life but to everyone else around you and how you're impacting it i think we set the world the the next show up to kind of caveat off of that so again dude i appreciate your time today dude and you jumping on and sharing all of the information that we did talk about and we just scraped the surface like we just kind of knocked some stuff out but um uh, yeah. yeah where where we can find theo obviously he just said he got a new ig so how can they get a hold of you through uh, instagram <laughs>
2: yeah, well, I mean, I appreciate you guys having me on, man. It's it's great to, it's great to, to, to chat. Um, yeah, I'm on Instagram, um, at TB underscore physio, tbphysio.com, but everything kind of feeds off my Instagram. So yeah, you have a question, send me a question. Um, I, I try not to live on there. I'll post some content that I think is relevant. So hopefully it's, it's helpful. And, you know, I try to get back to people and kind of steer them in the right direction. But, um, yeah pretty much sweet and then um guys.
0: that website is what do you say again your it's website is what cool
2: uh, it's the same so tv physio and uh that's that's where like i i created it an and it's like an ACA uh, acft prep manual and then there's um it's basically like some some movements to help you identify like is your you know is your shoulder your hip your back cool you know are you are you good to go or maybe kind of
1: sick so we'll I have to dive into that cool, soon and, uh, and you, you're always ready manuals on there as well i think
0: yeah. yeah, that's it. Yep. Yeah, that's yep. that's the. Main yeah. I'll, I'll make sure. There's but links I think to for all that sure next the, show, I think show we need next. to dive down the ACFT and 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 that already's ready f- performance manual just because of the fact I think it does. It brings a lot of value, and, and I love the fact that you have a website and Instagram to kind of get individuals on there. As well, if you guys are looking to see what Theo's doing with Softly, go ahead and over head over to the Softly YouTube and see what he's doing with Doug and what he's putting out there. Again, at the end of the day, all the information we're putting out is to go ahead and just help you become that much more better at your job and at life over over over. A long period of time. So, again, Theo, thank you for your time, brother. Matt, thank you for co hosting the show, dude, and bringing some valuable questions and information for us to kind of dig through. Till next time, guys, we'll talk to you later.